You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. I'm Adam Rissman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce a conversation from the Inside Intercom World Tour, a recently launched event series that's all about what it takes to make great product. We kicked off the North American leg of the tour at Signature Theater in New York. Among a handful of talks, we brought Forbes senior editor Steve Bertoni on stage. Steve covers all things tech, entrepreneurship, VCs, 30 under 30, and much more. We had him host a panel of guests from our favorite New York City startups, which we'll feature in this episode. Each guest shares lessons learned from building their business, how to manage growth and how to hire an early stage company, and of course, they explain the common traits they see in successful product. Panelists include Mike Buford, VP of Engineering at Greenhouse, a software for prioritizing the recruiting process from interviews to actually having data that can help inform hiring decisions. Your product is not just the piece of software that people access, it's also the experience they have as a customer. And from everything, you know, that from the sales process through uh, you know, their experience as a customer, even through offboarding. Christian Bieland, a founding team member and leader of all things growth at Hello Alfred, the hands-off on-demand service for busy people to be able to automate their errands during the week. We benefit from density. Having a lot of people in a small area is, is more valuable to have a thousand people in one or two zip codes than 10,000 spread out through all Manhattan. So growth for us is kind of, we'd rather grow smart. And Lindsay Boyajin, she's the CMO at Augment, an augmented reality platform on iOS and Android to help visualize a product in real time. You have to continue to talk to your users and build something that they not only enjoy, but is actually useful for them. If you like what you hear, check out intercom.io slash inside intercom for our full list of upcoming tour dates and ticket links. And with that, I'll hand things over to Steve Bertoni. Thank you so much, everyone. And Christian's actually, he's also my Alfred, he's my butler. So thank you for coming in tonight. Um, this is a great panel, really exciting, because we have a great mix of diverse companies. Um, we got consumer, we got B2B, and Lindsay's kind of the day walker. She goes consumer and B2B. So this is going to be great to talk about product and scale, because I think it should um, be very relevant to everyone in this room. So let's start with product, okay? So there's so much competition out there right now. What, I'll, I'll put you on the spot first, Lindsay. What makes an awesome product in your, in your field? How do you stand out when there's so much competition? We're augment, so we're an augmented reality solution. There's a ton of AR and VR companies out there all trying to uh, get a piece of the market. And one of the ways we've been able to stand out is to build a great product and a product that works. Um, I think a lot of times you have apps that get published and they're buggy and they quit. And one of the ways we have 2 million downloads, and our users come back time and time again because it simply works. Um, and we've done a ton of user testing, and you have to continue to talk to your users and build something that they not only enjoy, but is actually useful for them. And Mike, you're in you know, HR solutions, and you're up with some giant juggernauts, like massive billion-dollar companies. How does Greenhouse stand out with the products? How do you wow um, your clients? 
Well, I mean, I think uh, with enterprise, you're exchanging money for value of some sort. And so, uh, you know, every company consists of just a bunch of people. And so if you can do a better job of figuring out who those people are so that they are better fit, um, they help the company make more money, they bring in more energy, um, then, you know, the, the price of a piece of recruiting software, which helps you do that, is, you know, a drop in the bucket. And so it's, it's mostly the exchange of value for, for money. The way that we actually do it is uh, by focusing on um, being data-driven and uh, structured interviewing. So structured interviewing lets you uh, figure out what you're looking for, make sure that you test for it carefully, and uh, that when you evaluate candidates, um, you're able to figure out whether they're actually aligned with, with what you want. Christian, you, you're in a, a new company in a new field. I mean, on-demand is relatively, services relatively new, and there's not many Butler services out there. So you, how do you make a product awesome when you're the kind of the first ones in that, in that area? Yeah, so when kind of creating an, almost like a new market, like building this company that essentially is a subscription butler service that takes care of your errands, like something that a lot of people haven't experienced before, might not truly understand. It was really about creating like an experience for people. The idea that when they came home, everything was taken care of and you know, our, our motto is come home happy. Like we really wanna help our members have that experience. And so you know, our original product was you know, Google Docs and emails. Like when we were starting, when it was three of us, you know, actually when it was just my two co-founders in Boston doing this very early stage. And, but what was important was that there was an experience that they created for our members. And that gets people talking that, oh, I came home and everything was handled. This was in my fridge. This was, it was, I could focus on what I cared about. And that's kind of how we started and kind of started building a brand for ourselves. And then the more kind of in-depth you know, product, the app has come later, but it's really just kind of trying to fit into that experience that we create for our members. Speaking of brands, what's more important to have an awesome product or an awesome brand? I think they're intimately linked. They're right? hand in hand. Yeah. yeah, I mean, your your product is not just the piece of software that people access. It's also the experience they have as a customer um, from everything, you know, that from the sales process through. Uh, you know, their experience as a customer, even through offboarding, um, you know, they get attached to your company. And I guess brand is, is sort of like an analog for that. Um, and all of the pieces of, of who you are, your identity kind of feed into that, everything from, from the software to, to all the other touch points. And brand is in the product. It's all built in and it's all really interwoven. And we've been up here for two minutes and we've all said the word experience. Um, and that's what it comes down to. It's creating this user experience, whether it's Physically, like when you come home and you're having that experience, or for us, it's creating an augmented reality experience, an experience that isn't even in the real world. But across the board, it comes down to that user experience. Yeah, and this is it's kind of the summation. All the and I feel like product and brand is like it's greater than some of its parts. There are always like little touch points, you know, the little communication, the little touches that all add together to build this like really wonderful thing. And and actually, you know, sorry, I know we're at, we're at an intercom thing, so I have to give a little shout out to them. <laughs> For us, that has been a really powerful tool to kind of create these little moments, these little experiences for our members that can be subtle and natural and organic. And so, you know, from growing our product and kind of creating that brand, you know, Intercom has been really helpful. I just wanted to get a little shout out there. Yeah. Cool. And I, I can tell you a little story about uh, the, the interleaving of the two. So, you know, in the early days of Greenhouse, believe it or not, the software was actually not that good. Um, I, I built it so I can take credit for it being not very good. Um, but also, like, it, feedback it, takes, it takes time to build something good. And so uh, one way that we dealt with having bugs when there were only two developers on the team and there were real companies trying to use it was we installed some chat software. And guess who chat support was? It was me. 
And so when somebody complained about some issue or I saw in the error reporting system that you know, somebody had run into a bug, I would literally fix it immediately. I would hop into my editor and go and, and you know, fix whatever the problem was, deploy it to production, and creepily, which I did not realize it was creepy <laughs> at the time, I would email them and say, you know that bug you ran into five minutes ago on the site? I fixed it. <laughs> And, that's uh, great customer service. That's exactly. Like, that's like creepy. <laughs> so that's what I thought. And, and most people thought it was amazing customer service. And then someone finally was like, that kind of creeped me out, but that was amazing. <laughs> and so that's when we, we figured out like the standard phrasing of like, our error reporting system has informed us that, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And not just that I was like watching them. Like I was watching your <laughs> I'm those, watching your session. Do those early users not get really upset when it takes more than five minutes? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I mean, they've, they've become a loyal following, right? Like they, they got in touch with uh, a real person. They, they knew that we were humans and not just a piece of software. And that was evidence of it. And I, so I actually think we have a deep connection, like a huge, per, I, I would it's very close to 100% um, of the companies that have not gone out of business or been acquired that we had in the first year uh, are still with us. So, And speaking of bugs, what are some of your favorite mistakes and failures that have changed and made the product better? Like, obviously, product's never done, experience is never done. Um, like, how close is the final product now been to the original idea, and how is that mess-ups shifted and improved um, what you guys make? A lot of it's workflow stuff. Um, so, you know, when you create a new job in Greenhouse, uh, there's a bunch of stuff you can do. Uh, at the beginning, we made you do all of it before you could open the job. So to try to open it, you had to go through, like, 45 steps and fill out all of these forms, and it didn't save along the way. So you had to, like, block out, like, a day in order to open a job. <laughs> when you really just wanted to open it and then add the stuff later and kind of layer things in. Um, so I think that was, that was actually kind of an obvious thing, but we kind of waited for people to complain about it before we, we made a change. And, uh, and now you know, that, that class of uh, annoying user experience error isn't, isn't really a thing. And, and Christian, with Alfred, like you're, you get into people's homes and get into their lives. So when you do mess up, you mess up their lives. So <laughs> how, <laughs> right, like you're talking like you uh, give strangers... So how, how have you, how has Alfred evolved? Because that's a very interesting kind of product problem and actually, you know, you know personal problem, like, you know, employee problem. What have you changed with the Alfreds coming to people's houses that have, has made this service, you know, improved? So, I mean, one of the main things that we've changed is who we work with. So the partners that, you know, do the dry cleaning or the laundry or, you know, who does the house cleaning. We've, we worked initially with, like, local providers in the neighborhood, but we've actually found that, you know, you can guarantee quality if you have larger partners who you have closer ties with. And so that's like one thing that, you know, as we grew, we were able to kind of work with larger players and guarantee that quality. But, you know, a thing for us as well is, is we've just gotten a lot better with, you know, if something does go wrong. And fortunately, like the things that have gone wrong are not our fault. It's like a, you know, something, somebody's laundry goes missing or somebody's shirt gets a little ruined in the dry cleaner. Things happen in the real world too, but because it's through us, there's naturally this like, you know, we're the easy people to look at and blame, but we're very responsive. You know, we try to kind of react quickly and we try to act as an advocate and really kind of emphasize that side of what we're doing, that we are someone who's on your side. We know who messed up and we're going to figure it out for you so you don't have to worry. So that's something that we've kind of gotten better partners who we have close relationships with has been a big thing for us. And with Augment, you're in a very hot field. You know, everyone's talking, you know, AI, virtual reality, that sort of stuff. Has the product always been, you guys focus on initial marketing customer experience. Has it always been that? And kind of how has that been tweaked in the past couple of years? 
So we're constantly iterating on our customer experience. No one's done, created an AR platform before, so we don't know the best way to do it. We don't know the best way to onboard. So there's just a lot of learning, and for us, what we've seen, it's how quick can we iterate, how quick can we talk to our customers, and how quickly can we incorporate their feedback into what we're building. Um, there's no magic bullet to building a great product. It's just constantly talking and constantly moving as quick as possible. What kind of feedback have you gotten? That is there any like particular feedback that's really changed the product and what you guys do? Just a lot of, I mean, it's everything from how we're uploading a certain model to how this interface or the logout button's in a weird spot. And it's all these little things and these little details that come together to make the entire experience. And it's getting that feedback to building an even better product and creating an even better experience for the user. You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Don't send visitors down a dead end. Let them ask questions when and where they have them in real time. See how at intercom.com slash acquire. And let's shift a little bit. I mean, we're in New York City. Tech is hot now. New York used to be the, the finance, law, media market. It still is, but, you know, but here we are. We're in, it's a Thursday night. Everyone should be at a bar right now, but we're in an auditorium <laughs> hearing um, all of us nerds come up here and speak. So technology is hot, and people are shifting. How many people here have had other careers before? Well, how many people are in startups and tech right now in the audience? So most of the hands. How many people have did, did other things before they kind of went into a, quote, tech thing? So look good. We have a lot of converts. And you have people coming this way. What's it like to hire in New York and hire people for tech companies, especially if they come to other things from other great, things? Great question. So I'll give you guys a little anecdote. So we're a French company. So we were, were headquartered in France. And in February, we decided we were going to open a New York office. So the question becomes, how does this random French company hire in arguably one of the most competitive markets in the world? Um, and what it does is it really challenges. And we work more than 40 hours a week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, 35 hours. 35. 35. Yeah, it's a hard stop. <laughs> um, no, no emails after, what, five, 3 p.m.? Yeah, no one brings their laptops home. It's a, it's a great thing. Right, enough, enough French bank. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so what we did is, and, but we knew we needed a great team, and we knew the people were out there, and so it came down to what is our vision, ex telling people about our vision, and then sharing with them what we're building and getting them on board. And it's not an easy process. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, we sorted through hundreds of candidates and shout out to the Augment team who's here. And we have an all-star team now. Um, but it's because we interviewed a ton of people and we need, knew exactly who we needed. And we found the right pieces and put this puzzle together. And it's hard to convince people when you're a random startup to hop on board. And so it's about having that vision and showing them, hey, we're going to build this together. Let's, let's do it. Let's change the world. Totally, and you used vision. I used booze. Uh, I got I got people developers drunk. <laughs> the age old and, trick. Yeah, and uh, and actually, I I, I solution I, I did solution selling. That was that was kind of like the the great breakthrough. I ended up reading a sales book that taught, taught me about this concept called solution yeah, what selling. Is it, what is that? Which was was basically like let me figure out what all of your pain points are before we have a conversation. That was, that's the fundamental thing. And the booze takes all the pain away. So yeah. Really <laughs> and then you talk about the thing that addresses that pain. And ideally, like instead of giving them a blanket generic pitch. So um, when I first started, I had no idea really how to recruit people. And developers are especially hard to recruit, um, especially in New York, where some finance company might say, we're going to pay 
pay you $750,000 a year if you come here. It's going to suck, but you're going to make 750 grand. Um, and so, where? <laughs> exactly. Are they hiring? And, uh, and so finding out, like, you know, I, I don't feel like I get enough professional development. I, uh, you know, don't, don't feel like I get paid enough sometimes, although startups are not very good at addressing that necessarily, especially in the early stages. You get equity. Equity, you get some equity. Um, I don't feel like I have enough creative input. There are all these different things. And then uh, I genuinely just tried to seek alignment because I wanted people who would stay. So I told them whatever the real deal was, but I got to focus my pitch on the things that mattered to them. Uh, and so I'm, I'm now at 50 engineers, and I've had zero regrettable attrition in four years. Wow. And they would have quit if it wasn't what was sold to them. And so, like, what do you ask? You say, like, yeah. what do you? What sucks about your current job? Yeah. So they'll they'll try talking and saying some random banter, uh, and I'll usually start with some questions, uh, you know, for them, just about like, so we're at we're having a conversation right now, right? You're you're in your current job. Clearly, there's some pain point that made it worth coming out to a beer with a random guy to talk about a startup. So, like, what are the things? I'm definitely not asking you to bash your employer. Um, you know, I'm sure there are lots of good things. But what are the things that motivated you to feel like maybe there's something else out there? And I would kind of start with something like that. Uh, and that would just start a pretty free-form conversation. And actually one that, like, touched on a lot of the emotional pain points. You know, like, moving jobs is like changing relationships, you know? Uh, you have alliances with your team. Um, you maybe care about the company itself as an entity. Uh, and so getting them to sort of break up and choose you instead uh, actually requires sort of like uncovering some of the pain and, you know, hopefully convincing them um, accurately that like this is, we, we actually are the, the salve to, to the pain points that you're talking about. You'd be a good marriage therapist too, I think. <laughs> or, or divorce lawyer. Totally still married. Hey, Christian, how about Alfred? I mean, it's a, it's, like I said, it's a new concept. Uh, is, uh, how do you get people passionate about it, and how do you find people that are going to be the good fit for this? Yeah, I mean, finding people that are passionate about it. Well, I mean, one nice thing about New York is that a lot of people work a lot, and they see value in something like Alfred, so they get the product. They're like, I wish I had this, or I wish I had this when I was an analyst, you know, straight out of college working in finance. So people understand what it is and have a desire to make it work, make it, you know, be a thing that everyone's using and make it something that they can use. And so finding the people like who get it is actually quite easy in New York. And what I also love about New York from a, like a hiring standpoint is that it's just filled with people who are extremely driven and will work, you know, 120 hour weeks if they have to, to get things done. And also have the ability to just, you know, buckle down and learn something new. I think the amount of like just raw talent here is like pretty phenomenal. I think there is there are not enough engineers like people with very specific skill sets, but just like general talent is in abundance in this area in this city. And so finding them and then finding the right place for them in the organization, I think often we, we did that you know early. We found really great people and like we will find a place something for them to do. Like early stage, everyone's doing a little bit of everything. So it's great to have these all around players who can then take the reins on like one aspect of the business and just really just crush it. Um, and so that's how we kind of looked early, like find young people who are really, really passionate and really excited and are willing to just work their asses off and just, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's blessed when tears, you know? <laughs> and in terms of, you talk about pain points and, you know, the talent pool and working your ass off. What are some of the like, general reasons why people want to work at startups? What's kind of that, that siren song? The flexibility, the autonomy, the responsibility, the ownership, I mean, being a corporate, I th think there's a lot of perks, but I mean, to actually own something end to end and make a difference, you can do something on a Monday that impacts 
hundreds and thousands of users on a Tuesday. That's insane. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's what you get at a startup. Yeah. I worked in finance. I'm a recovering banker from back in the day. And I used to get screamed at because I forgot like an Oxford comma and a footnote in, on page like 37 out of 100. And, it's just, and it meant nothing. And it was such a small little thing that mattered so much that I had no idea of the, you know, the results of because we'd go off to some meeting and I'd just be sitting in my cubicle. And being, yeah, being in a situation where everyday decisions make huge business impacts is just really wonderful. I think people see that and want to be part of it. And jumping from hiring to growth, um, I'm a journalist. We're guilty of, I think every year we assign a stupid animal name to trends. Like there's a unicorn and now they're like, forget unicorns. Everyone wants a cockroach. It's got to be the, the company that can survive. And how do you, <laughs> yeah, right? That's, you guys heard that, right? The cockroach, that's the new, the new thing. We'll find out what 2017 is going to be. Um, <laughs> The slug or something. It started here. It started right here. We'll, we'll name it. But how, how do you guys manage growth in New York? And what's the, how do you find the right tempo? And is, is, is it growth for all intents and purposes? Or is there certain things that you want to pump the brakes on? And That's a rambling question, but let's talk growth. Um, yeah, I mean, it totally depends on the stage of your business and what your numbers look like, whether you should put fuel in the fire. You know, um, We went probably, I think it was about a year and a half uh, where we'd proved out that we had product market fit before we wanted to take money. And that was the wisdom of the founders, not, not me. I probably would have said, yeah, let's take more money and, and keep going in, in my immaturity at the time. But uh, you know, they, they realized they needed to prove the model to themselves before taking money would actually yield worthwhile results. Um, then when we started seeing, okay, what's, what's our gross margin going to be? If you can see that you have good positive gross margin and uh, you, pour, you know, pour more fuel on the fire and you end up with uh, you know, sustainable growth, then that's worth it. Um, you start entering into phases where you want to preserve capital because obviously if, you, if you're still VC funded, right, you uh, have to go back to the VCs and get more money. Uh, and eventually that you know, dilutes your company down to nothing, right? So you don't want to have to do that indefinitely. You eventually want to plan and say, I would like to make money you know, in the black one day. I would like to be profitable, not just growth. Um, so at some moment, if you don't realize that, you end up uh, you know, a super huge company that you know, burns through a half a billion dollars a month. Um, you know, I think uh, most smart companies would name names. Pump, <laughs> yeah, pump, pump the brakes a little bit and, uh, and, and then you know, start figuring out how to find operational efficiencies. Uh, you have become a big company. What is your goal? Is your goal to become the biggest company in the world or is your goal to become a great company um, that is the leader in your space? And where, where is that inflection point where you actually make a decision that uh, you know, it's, it's going to keep getting bigger we don't necessarily need to accelerate as fast as we're accelerating. Yeah, I mean, for, like for us, this, you know, the way we look at growth is really depends on your business model. And you know, we, we benefit from density. Having a lot of people in a small area is, is more valuable to have 1,000 people in one or two zip codes than 10,000 spread out through all Manhattan. So growth for us is kind of we'd rather grow smart. And if we grow too quickly and you spread yourself too thin, then you get you know, quality control issues and you, you see a lot of companies that grow really fast. And because of that, the quality, especially companies like ours where there's a person involved and you have to hire great people, when you have to hire a lot of people and you lose control of that you know, hiring process, quality drops and then people churns grows and then you have to lower prices to get more members and so then that becomes a big problem so we very much focus on the quality and growing in a sustainable way densely essentially it's been big for us yeah, you want an offer in each apartment building that would just have to go to the yeah, elevator that's, that's the dream yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
How about you guys? You're a little more software oriented. And yeah, and so enterprise software, you need a big sales team. So we grew pretty fast over the last year. We went from about 10 to 40. Um, that's big growth, and you're going from a small company where everyone can sit at one lunch table to a company spread across two continents. Um, and so with that, it's about managing the balance between process, flexibility, and yeah, and making sure that, yeah, we're still a startup. Our, one of our competitive advantages is we're flexible and we can iterate really quickly. But at the same time, you need to have the processes in place, and whether that's the hiring processes or the sales processes or the marketing kind of processes in place to be able to continue that growth. And so it's finding, well, finding that balance, which is key. Yeah, I mean, the, the toleration for instability is something that changes with customer size and, you know, how, how early an adopter are they? People who adopt in, you know, uh, a couple of years after a company became hot uh, probably expect a more stable product. They, they are the types of people who want stability. And so if you go and make cowboy changes all the time, which every, you know, every developer does in the early days of a startup, um, then you're going to lose them because you're not going to be reliable, right? And so uh, that's, that's definitely a lesson we learned. So we still deploy changes 10 times a day, but with a 50-person team and without so much recklessness, you know, automated testing and QA and all of that good stuff, that some guardrails to, to prevent against uh, things, things going south. Well, speaking of guardrails, unfortunately, we're bumping against our time guardrail. So that was um, a fully fast 20 minutes. That was awesome. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. And thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.